Hi, everyone. I'm George Davis, and I, too, want to welcome you to the service of the Hershey Free Church. And let me give you a heads up on two fronts as I get started. First of all, uh, later in the service, we're going to have a time of communion. So I would encourage you to go ahead right now and get whatever items you want to use for the bread, for the juice, whatever you want to do. Just go ahead and get that organized because we'll move quickly into that at the end of the message. Secondly, Uh, Just to give you this heads up, this morning we're in the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And so for those of you maybe with small kids, if you'd prefer that they really didn't hear the uh, realities of what we're going to be talking about, maybe you can kind of uh, occupy them with other things, even as I get started. So with that... uh, With that heads up, let's go ahead and move into this message. We're continuing our series on the Ten Commandments. And we're now in the second section of the Ten Commandments, the second section of these laws that really deals with how we relate to other people. Uh, Really, one one of the ways to think about this section is this is the section that tells us how to love our neighbor, how to be in appropriate relationships with other people. And in addressing how we love our neighbor, how we engage others, we come to the topic of human sexuality. And as I said, that now brings us to the seventh commandment, Exodus twenty fourteen: you shall not commit adultery. Now, as we deal with this, I, um, I want to acknowledge right up front that I think frequently in Christian circles, uh, when we talk about human sexuality and human sexual expression, uh, it, it feels like the only message that is communicated is is no, right? No sex before marriage, no sex outside of marriage. No, no, no. Now, all of that is true, and I think all of that is grounded in Scripture. Yet, here's what we may, f- may fail to understand. I think that no is actually part of a bigger yes. And somehow in our messaging, sometimes in how we talk about it, it feels like all we hear is no. When biblically, I think there's a more robust yes that we need to pay attention to. And it is, it's the yes of a holistic view of sex, a yes to understanding the beauty and complexity of the fact that, that we have been created as sexual beings in the image of God. Now, as we've seen throughout this series, uh, for those of us who are followers of Christ, I think the, the Ten Commandments really provide guidelines and guardrails. That's the subtitle for this series. While as Christians, we are not under the Ten Commandments, there is still much wisdom here for us. I think wisdom giving us, us guidance really on what, it, on what the path looks like in following Christ, and also wisdom pointing out the dangers that can await us when we deviate from this path. So underlying, underlying this seventh commandment, I think, is, is helpful wisdom for us. It's, it's, un, it's a biblical vision of sexual integrity. And it's really an invitation to sexual wholeness. So I think in order to understand this commandment, we really need to think more broadly in terms of the biblical vision of human sexuality. And and so really what what I want to do over the next few moments is is ultimately just say, here's here's the biblical vision of human sexuality. Here's, Here's what the Bible 
is inviting us to say yes to. Now, in understanding that biblical vision, I think we have to start at the very beginning. We have to start with the creation accounts in the book of Genesis. And as we read the opening chapters of Genesis, uh, we're confronted with the fact that as humans, we've been created in God's image. We've been created, therefore, with dignity and with purpose. And we are created as male and female. We are biologically sexed creatures created in God's image. And because we're created in his image, I think each of us are designed, we're intended to be in relationship with him. We, we are intended to reflect his image to the world that he has created and to be involved in his mission. To, to in some sense, be ongoing creators of culture, to represent him in the world that he has created. So that's the broader mission. We have, we've been created in God's image as male and female, and, and we're to reflect his image and be in relationship with him. Now, within that broader image, he creates marriage. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2, right? A familiar verse, Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So within the the broader mission of, of being image bearers, which all of us are, God then creates the institution of marriage, and it becomes clear here that this uh, this marriage is to involve one man, one woman, in a covenantal relationship. That is a relationship of commitment. It's a relationship that is intended to be exclusive, a relationship that is intended to be permanent. That's that's the biblical vision of, of marriage. And then within that vision of marriage is the location where sexual activity is designed to take place. So notice, here's the, here's the big picture of all of us being created in God's image and called to participate in his mission. Within that mission, he creates the institution of marriage that's a covenantal relationship intended to be permanent. And within marriage, he, he designs the location for sexual activity to take place. Now, I need to be clear in this. Uh, within the largest storyline of the Bible, we need to recognize that the expectation is not that everyone is to be married or that marriage and sexual activity is required for human flourishing and human fulfillment. And, and arguably, of course, the clearest example of this is the life of Jesus, right? I mean, here's the one who exemplifies what true humanity looks like in its fullest, yet he was single, he was celibate. And so we need, we need to keep this in mind as we think about this topic, and, and I'll come back to it a little bit later. So, again, here's the broader mission, the broader mission of being created in the image of God, male and female. And then within that broader image of being created in the image of God, there is the institution of marriage. And then within the institution of marriage, there's the location uh, by God's design for sexual activity. And so as we think, think more specifically about what that looks like, what marriage and sex within marriage is to look like, let, let's just talk about the purposes uh, that are part of God's design here. 
And uh, maybe to make this memorable or easier to think about, I'm going to give you four R's when we think about sex within marriage and and the biblical vision of of sexual expression. A first R, believe it or not, recreation. Uh, Again, I don't think we always pay attention to this. Again, a lot of times, unfortunately, in our messaging, it feels like the Christian message about sexuality is always no, no, no. Uh, But the Bible, interestingly, has no problem talking about the, the joys, the pleasure of sexual expression. For instance, Proverbs 5 is a passage that, like the Seventh Commandment, warns against adultery, but it also talks about the joy, the pleasure, the enjoyment that couples should experience in their relationship, including the physical dimension of their relationship. I mean, the author talks about being intoxicated by the love of your spouse. Likewise, if you never read it, read the, read the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. I mean, they're very graphic descriptions of the joys of sexual activity within marriage. So by God's design, within the context of marriage, one of the purposes of sexual expression is its recreation. I think another R is, is relationship, right? I mean, in the Genesis account, we, we are told that, that this man and this woman are to become one flesh, and that, that communicates, I think, the, the vulnerability, the transparency that can come with sexual activity. And it also communicates the idea that this coming together physically is, is intended to build into the vitality, the intimacy of that relationship. So that, that physical expression becomes part of the glue that holds the marriage bond together. So, sex within marriage is designed for recreation, for relationship. Thirdly, (laughs) reproduction, right? This is how we become families. This is how we experience the the gift of children and becoming parents. And even today, just celebrating with parents in a time of child dedication. So, clearly, one of the purposes of of sex within marriage is, is reproduction. Now, there's one more R, and this one may be the one you haven't thought about much. (laughs) And I use the word representation. And here's what I mean by this. Uh, I realize sometimes we think, you know, we can can think about sex as dirty and we get frustrated with the over-sexualized realities of our culture and how it's just in our face. I get all that. But in the midst of all of that, we have to understand still that that God designed the marriage relationship, and I think within that marriage relationship, sexual expression, he actually designed this to reveal certain things about himself to the world. I mean, there's a design of covenant loyalty here and commitment here. And in some small imperfect way, our, our marriages by design are really intended to reflect his faithfulness. This is one of the reasons why in the Old Testament, for instance, in the book of Hosea, God can describe his love, his faithfulness to Israel as the commitment of a faithful spouse. Likewise, fast forward to the New Testament, and and the imagery of marriage is, is an image that is used to communicate Christ's love to his church, to his people. 
In, in fact, we get to the end of the Bible. We get, right, to the, we get to this amazing vision at the end of Revelation, right, of the new heavens and the new earth, the final chapter in God's plan of restoration. And, and in that final chapter, in Revelation 21 and 22, the, the people of God, the church of God, is described as the bride of the Lamb, as the bride of Christ. So interestingly, at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, and at the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, we, we see the image of marriage and oneness. And, and we are confronted with the truth that, that in some, some small way, our marriages are intended to reflect to the world the love, the faithfulness, of God and the love and faithfulness now of Christ to his people. So when we think about the kind of a biblical vision of sexual integrity, of sexual wholeness, we're confronted with this image that within this mandate that we're image bearers, God creates marriage. And then within marriage, he creates this location for sexual expression that involves these character traits, Recreation, relationship, reproduction, and representation. Now, obviously, I, I realize at this point this sounds very idealistic, doesn't it? This is, this is the biblical design, biblical vision of marriage, the biblical design, the biblical vision of human sexual expression. And I think it, it's foundational to really how the Bible invites us to sexual integrity. However, in understanding this design, in understanding this design, we've got to be honest with one another. And we, we have to acknowledge that we live in a world permeated by sin. We live in a world permeated by brokenness. And, and that sin, that brokenness is clearly evident in experiences of sexuality and sexual experience. And I think in different ways, all of us have have experiences where we have to acknowledge this. I mean, some of us have experienced the reality of broken relationships, broken vows of commitment. And some of us carry those scars and wounds. Some of us have experienced the horror of, of sexual abuse and, and are still dealing with the ramifications of that. One of the hardest things I had to read this week was really an account of a pastor who was very transparent uh, in, in acknowledging he had been abused as a child and just the deep impact and realities that that trauma has created. Some of us wrestle with unhealthy sexual thoughts and habits. In fact, multiple studies would argue that that many of you watching this have, have viewed pornography over, over the last month. And our technology makes this so easy to do. Some of us are in marriage relationships where the oneness, the connection, seems to have evaporated over time. And we're wondering if there are better options. Some of us are wrestling with desires that are very different than the biblical vision that I just communicated. So how do, we, how do we look at this biblical vision of human sexuality in light of kind of the realities that we experience? I mean, how do we, how do we look at this biblical vision 
in light of our own experience, in light of our own brokenness? How do we, how do we look at this biblical vision in light of the fact that at times it really seems like we are in a culture that is bombarding us with all sorts of sexual messages? Well, I think at, at this point we need to listen to the words of Jesus as he holds on to this biblical, biblical vision. Because even, even as Jesus holds on to this biblical vision that I've described, I think he's also, he's also one to diagnose the problem at work in his culture and the problem at work in our culture in terms of sexual brokenness. And so that brings us to this familiar passage in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So there he quotes this part of the, uh, of the Ten Commandments that we've been talking about. But then he continues. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gauge it out, or gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You know, it was interesting that on different occasions, uh, Jesus was drawn into conversation, contemporary debates about marriage and sexuality. For instance, a contemporary debate that he was drawn into was, you know, what constituted a legitimate divorce. But whenever this happened, whenever he was drawn into these issues, he would, he would always frame, frame his conversation in light of this biblical vision of marriage and sexual integrity that we've been talking about. And I think that vision underlies what he is saying here. And as he holds on to this vision, he, he really points out our root problem. And I think this applies to his culture. It applies to our culture. It's like, it's like he looks at us in our culture and he's saying, you know what? The realities of sexual brokenness aren't simply a matter of behavior, as important as that is. He's saying they, they go deeper than that. They're matters of the heart. They're matters of our desires, our outlook on life. And you know what? Jesus argues, even if you've never committed the physical act of adultery, the, the physical act of the breaking of marriage vows, we can still experience sexual brokenness. So notice his, his warning. His warning isn't simply about physical behavior. He says the root problem is not ultimately our physical behavior. He says the, the root problem goes to our desires. It goes on to, goes to what's going on at the deepest part of who we are. And, and he warns us against lust. Now, what is, what is Jesus talking about when he talks about lust? Well, I think when Jesus is talking about lust, he's talking about something more than ordinary desire. Uh, the language he uses isn't just ordinary desire. It's what you might call an absorbing desire. To put it another way, Jesus, Jesus is not attacking hormones, right? He knows that God has created us as sexual beings. He's not referring to simply noticing a person's beauty, but really to imbibing it, meditating on it, seeking to possess it, desiring it. And can I suggest, this, this is really where Jesus' words become so countercultural. Because I think in so many ways, the messages we hear culturally um, 
communicate this. You know what? You need to be true to yourself. You need to be true to your desires. You need to just look within and follow your heart, right? You, you need to be true to what's going on on the inside. And, and Jesus is saying, no, not necessarily. Jesus is saying, you know what? You need to understand you live in a broken world where your, your desires can be twisted and distorted and corrupted. By contrast, Jesus is saying, I am calling you to a life of sexual integrity. I am calling you to, to a life of sexual wholeness. Now, at this point, you might say, okay, you know what? I get where Jesus is going. But why, why take this seriously? Right? I mean, he seems, he seems extreme here, right? Gouge out your eye, cut off your hand, right? Come on, really? Well, you know what? There's no question that this teaching includes hyperbole, but, but I think it's, it's hyperbole used to communicate the seriousness of what's at stake. Because among other things, I think Jesus wants us to understand that when we step out the, outside the boundaries of, of this biblical vision of sexual integrity, we put, other, we put people at danger. When we step outside the boundaries of this vision of sexual wholeness, we enter the realm of sexual brokenness, and it is here where people can get hurt. I mean, we could use a variety of examples here, but let me just, just briefly take the issue of pornography, right? Among other things, it, maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal, right? I mean, nobody's, you know, it's the privacy of your computer and nobody else has to see, but whether we realize it or not, we're, we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting others. We're hurting ourselves. I mean, Research studies now indicate that right over time, in certain ways, even our brain wiring can be changed as we expose ourselves to this, this material. And, and in not only that, but, but this kind of behavior can affect how we engage other people. Some of you don't realize it, but tragically right now, some of you are putting your marriages at risk because of pornography. And, and if you don't believe me, I can, I can just show you firsthand. I've, I've seen this firsthand as a pastor of marriages that fell apart because of this issue. Some of you are jeopardizing future relationships, and you don't realize it because of this issue. And I've, I've seen that experience as well, where this issue came up before couples were married. And I, I saw in one case it almost ruptured a marriage even before it began. Don't fool yourself. When, when you engage in this, you are hurting yourself. Likewise, we hurt others. I mean, through the viewing of these images, we are treating others as something to be consumed rather than someone to be loved. You see, lust devalues its object. It loses sight of someone as an image bearer of God. So I think we have to take Jesus seriously and wrestling with this biblical vision of human sexuality. Otherwise, People will be hurt in the process. But where does this leave us, right? I mean, this standard appears too high. After all, even if, we, if, even if we've never committed adultery, right? 
Lust is a different matter, right? So how do I, how do I, how do I move forward given the way Jesus is setting the standard for this vision of biblical wholeness? Well, I think we move forward by understanding that, that Jesus has come to transform us, right? He hasn't simply come to forgive us. He's come to transform us really from the inside out. And when we accept this gift of the gospel, when we start this journey of, of following Christ as, as we repent and put our faith and trust in him, the truth is he, he, he's now in the process of, he's giving us a new identity. It's, it's an identity that is deeper than our past. It's an identity that is deeper than our desires. It's an identity as his follower. And with that identity, he brings forgiveness and new life. And, and in redeeming and restoring, he also comes to restore our sexual wholeness. In fact, I think that the biblical invitation to sexual wholeness and sexual integrity just, just doesn't make sense without him. So very quickly then, let me just say a few things about, at a practical level about embracing sexual integrity. And first of all, let me, let me just talk to us. Let's just talk as church, right? Let's talk. Let me talk to you as this community we call the Hershey Free Church. And, and can, can I just highlight very quickly several things that I think we can do to help underscore uh, this biblical vision of sexual integrity in our church and in our community? First of all, I think at a practical level, I think we need to value singleness, Again, sometimes I think the, in church circles, it seems like the expectation in church is uh, everyone needs to be married, and if you're not married, somehow you're deficient. But remember, that's not the biblical vision. Whether married or single, all of us are called into this bigger vision of, of being image bearers and now called into the bigger vision of, of the mission of being followers of Christ. And so I think we... We need to remember that, and, and with that comes the, the fact we need to be a community that recognizes we're, we're in this together, whether married or single. I think another thing at a practical level we need to do is value friendship. Again, sometimes in our conversations about marriage, we seem to imply that, that all of our relational needs need to be met by one person. But that's not, that's not God's design either. I think we're, we're designed for community. We are designed to be part of this type of community. And, and so in, in, the, in, in seeking to be a church living out God's mission, we need to value and recognize the importance of friendship. And thirdly, I think as a church, we need to value compassion. Once again, sexuality, right, is, it's a major topic in our culture, a major issue of debate, it's a very, very heated topic, and trust me, I realize there's so much I haven't addressed, and if you've got further questions you want to address other issues, I'd be glad to have those further conversations with you. For instance, we haven't really even addressed some of the things raised uh, by LGP, uh, LGBTQIA issues. I realize that many in our culture and our world now hold views very different from Scripture. So I think in the midst of that, um, as we have conversations with one another, as we have conversations and interactions with others, um, we need to recognize, particularly as followers of Christ, you know, we're not, we're not merely talking about issues. We're talking about image bearers. We're not merely talking about policies. We're talking about people. 
So in the midst of, of the heat and the controversy um, that can so often be associated with the issues around sexuality at this cultural moment, while being true to Scripture, being faithful to our allegiance to Christ, um, we also need to be people of compassion in engaging others, even those who are coming from very different experiences than our own. So I think as a church, we need to value singleness. We need to value friendship. We need to value compassion. But let, let me now just kind of speak to us individually very quickly. And in, 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 in taking this biblical vision seriously, I think uh, foundationally, I think we, <laughs> we need to embrace the gospel. And to those of you who have yet to start the journey of following Christ, can I say this is the starting point. This, this is where you need to begin. Um, Jesus invites you <laughs> to become his follower, to receive his gift of new life and transformation. And within that, he, he offers to walk with you uh, the journey towards sexual wholeness and sexual integrity. So if you're not a Christian, uh, again, no, I'd love to have this conversation with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To those of us who've already started this journey, let me just remind you that the gospel communicates to you who you now are. We are people deeply loved by God for whom Christ died and in the midst of that reality, he invites us to sexual wholeness and sexual integrity. Now, I realize for some of us, that's hard to hear. Because for some of us, this topic is always a, sort, a source of hurt. It can be a source of frustration and disappointment. For some, it is a source of deep pain and shame. Yet, we need to understand that Christ can still meet us wherever we are in dealing with these issues. Along those lines, I love this uh, quote by Dan Ortland, who says, <laughs> in talking about Christ and embracing the gospel, he says this, he sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. Perhaps some of you, more than anything, that is, that's the message you need to hear today that this journey of, of sexual wholeness and sexual integrity, the wisdom that is foundational to the seventh commandment now for us begins by embracing the gospel. Now, very quickly, two other things that I would just say to you as an individual, and they, they really come out of this passage in 2 Timothy 2, where Paul says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of Oh, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So first of all, em embrace the gospel. But, but secondly, notice the idea of flee. And I think it's, it's flee evil desires. That is, take precautions to protect yourself from deviating from the path. Take precautions in protecting yourself from deviating into, into areas of sexual brokenness. I, and, and I'll just kind of unpack this. Again, let me do this very quickly. I think, among other things, part of the way we protect ourselves is by understanding what's at stake. I mean, if, if you're married, understand the health and vitality of, relation, of your relationship is at stake. Uh, if you aren't married, understand that if you deviate from this vision that can have an effect on future relationships... 
And for all of us, we need to understand that, uh, you know, and when we, when we deviate from this vision, for instance, when we deviate into pornography, it can have an impact on our emotional and spiritual well-being. We can, we can delude ourselves into thinking that sexual impurity can be a secret compartment of our lives that no one else has to know about. As if it doesn't have negative consequences. But don't kid yourself. When we deviate from this design, people get hurt. And that includes ourselves. Another dimension, I think, of protecting ourselves is just know your vulnerabilities. Be, be aware of situations that, that can get you into trouble. Be aware of the, the circumstances where you become vulnerable. Uh, maybe at certain settings at work where conversations become inappropriate. Uh, maybe it's reading certain types of books that create a pattern of, unhealthy, uh, of unhealthy fantasies. Maybe it's working late at night at a computer where it's easy to surf to inappropriate sites. So know where you are vulnerable and then pre-decide your response. Know how you're going to handle those situations when they arise. I mean, know ahead, of, you've got to have a game plan. When this happens, what am I going to do? Um, when an email shows up in my inbox, in, in my inbox, how am I going to handle it? When certain images pop up on my smartphone, what am I going to do? When I walk through a mall, you know, with suggestive ads, how am I going to handle that? I mean, when, when I'm wrestling with how to engage media well, what's, what's my game plan? I need to pre-decide that in response. So coming out of that verse in Timothy, I think we, we need to flee. We need to protect ourselves. But, but notice, if you recall what Paul said, it's not just about fleeing and protecting. It's, it's also about pursuing. Because, again, understand the no is embedded in a deeper yes. A yes focused on a relationship with God and embracing how he has created us. Unfortunately, sometimes I think, again, it seems like the only message we communicate is no, avoid bad. But this can have a limited impact. That's why Paul doesn't simply talk about fleeing and pursuing. He talks about pursuing. He doesn't simply talk about defense. He also talks about offense. And so an important part of of pursuing sexual integrity is really pursuing God. This is one of the reasons why I think community is important, why why we need to value relationships, why we need to connect with others. There need to be other people in our lives who are moving in the same direction and other people in our lives who can even, even help us move in the direction of sexual uh, integrity and sexual wholeness. So just along those lines, who is walking with you, right? Who's encouraging you? And what, what rhythms and patterns are you establishing to help you pursue God, to pursue righteousness, as the Apostle Paul discusses? So again, yes, there is a no in Scripture to sexual expression outside the confines of a marriage between a man and a wife. But that no is actually part of a deeper yes, a deeper yes to a biblical vision of sexual wholeness and sexual integrity. 
With that in mind, uh, I'll just remind you again that throughout this series, if you've gotten uh, a copy of the Ten Commandments that we have in card form or you printed it out at home, each week I've just encouraged you to uh, rewrite the commandment in your own words. So perhaps even as you think about this commandment, perhaps as you put it in your own words, it might be something like this. I will embrace Jesus' invitation to sexual integrity and sexual wholeness. With that in mind, would you join me in prayer? God, we we talked about this topic today, and it, it is one that is very much in front of us in so many ways in our culture. And frankly, uh, when we come to the the biblical vision of human sexuality, it's a vision that in so many ways seems out of step with our culture. And along with that, for many, the, the seventh commandment can seem out of step. And yet I pray that we would recognize that underneath that commandment is this this biblical vision. And it's a vision for our good. It's a vision that incorporates the beauty, the wonder, the mystery of your creation. And so, Father, I pray that you would see that while at times it can be hard to embrace this vision, it can be stretching to embrace this vision, I pray that we would see that ultimately this vision is for our good and for our protection. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So now as we conclude, we're going to come to this time of communion. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, hopefully you've got the, the, the things you want to use for communion, the bread and the juice. And I'll give you just a moment to, to get that if you haven't gotten that. And as you're doing that, let me just remind you of what we celebrate when we come to this time of communion. We celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And in celebrating that, we are acknowledging, right, our our own sin and brokenness. That we're acknowledging that our sin and brokenness isn't the end of the story. Because even as we acknowledge that, we, we can acknowledge that deeply because of the deep reality of Christ's gift, the deep reality of forgiveness, new life, and restoration. So particularly in light of what we've been talking about today, um, as we think about Christ's forgiveness, as we think about his initiative on our behalf, as we think about his mercy and grace, as we take this together, can we think of that specifically in terms of our own sexuality? And for you, in different ways, we've, I think all of us have, in some sense, experienced the brokenness of human sexuality. And whatever that may look like for you, whatever your past may look like, whatever the challenges you are facing in this area may look like, I would just invite you to see that as we take this, it is a reminder of Jesus' grace and mercy on our behalf. A reminder that he meets us in the midst of where we are. And among other things, as he meets us, he meets us with the offer to restore our sexual wholeness. So now as we take this together, would you hear this as Jesus' invitation to you? This is my body, 
It's broken for you. This is my blood. It's shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So again, I want to thank you for joining us uh, for this service. And as we start a new week, I pray that, that you would see the words of this seventh commandment as Jesus' invitation to you to sexual wholeness and sexual integrity. Amen.